Amen. Now, before we get into the word, two more things I want to announce. Um, Pastor Nick, Marissa, and Ariana and their family are out on vacation. They're taking a week off, which is very well deserved for the amount of stuff that they do. So do me a favor, uh, pray for them. I pray that they enjoy it. I told Nick for this week, don't worry about anything. I've got it. And what that means is that I'm not gonna do anything, but I'm gonna give him the peace of knowing that he can relax this week. That's what happens when you let a 25-year-old help you run the church. Okay. Finally, one last thing. They're not here today from what I understand, but we do want to celebrate. We do love uh, these special moments. A couple who's very near and dear to us, to our church, got engaged last night. So if you can post a picture up, we have uh, Charlie and Gabby. Um, The future sticks, which is going to be super cool. Do me a favor. When you see them, give them a hug. Give them a kiss. Slip them some money. In Jesus' name, because man, weddings are expensive. Okay, perfect. Uh, I'm very excited to get to speak this morning. Um, God is doing something very cool in our church. And I'm not just saying that because this is our church, but uh, I've grown up believing that the way God speaks shows you a lot about what he's trying to do. And so we had a very funny instance amidst our um, our church, where about a month ago, Pastor Nick comes up to the front and he preaches a word on Acts chapter 16. Now, unbeknownst to Pastor Nick, I had for the last two months been preparing a word on Acts chapter 16. But in my head, I figured, well, I'm gonna preach about a month after him, so by then, people will naturally forget about Acts chapter 16, and when I pick it back up, we'll be good to go. Following week, Luciano gets up to the pulpit, and unbeknownst to Luciano, he didn't listen to Pastor's sermon about Acts chapter 16, and so Luciano prepared a sermon on Acts chapter 16. Unbeknownst to both of them, I texted them last night like, what is going on? Because obviously y'all are trying to steal my content. And so we gotta figure this one out. But sure enough, that isn't what's happening. There, there's three big takeaways we can, we can take from this happening. And this is a learning moment, I think, for a lot of us. Three things that we can understand. One is that uh, it is evident that God is speaking to multiple people the same thing. This is a beautiful thing now, because sometimes when the pastor leaves and he's on vacation or he gives someone else the opportunity to speak, it's like, man, are they gonna speak according to what God wants? And it's very evident that three different people receive the same word from God in three different moments, almost as if God is making it very clear that he wants this to be a recurring theme in our church. So the cool thing is that God is relaying the same message to multiple people. And if you don't know this yet, let this be a moment where you learn when you and your friends are all receiving the same word from God, something cool is about to happen. Now, secondarily, Acts chapter 16, not the easiest read, which beckons the question, what is God preparing us for as a church? Acts chapter 16 is a lot about worshiping through oppression. And so if this is a message that God is preparing for our church, it is almost as if he's making it clear that we have to be ready for what's coming. The cool thing about Acts chapter 16, it's not so much a passage on oppression, it's a passage on liberation. It's a passage on bondage being broken. It's a passage on freedom, almost as if God is preparing us to grow and be free of things that have been holding us down. And finally, for some of us here, and I'll be real with you, Acts chapter 16, three times in a month, is almost as if God is saying, you haven't figured it out yet, have you? I grew up in church where it would take me multiple times to hear something before I applied it. For some people in this church, I believe that when Nick spoke the message, God was like, all right, that's what they need. Perfect. Listen to it. Apply it. You get to work on Monday and the message is out the window. So what did God do the following week? He loses Luciano. He goes, Luciano, same word because they need to hear it again. Now, some of you guys have heard the message twice. You're like, you should be like, all right, cool. 
two times. Makes sense. Get to work on Monday, you forget. I'm here to tell you this is the third time, uh, so do me a favor. Uh, Would you open up your ears? Because I'm pretty sure that if we don't, I believe that the way God works is that he will continue to speak the same message until the person that has to hear it hears it. And if we're going to hear it and not apply it, I'm sorry to tell you, he will do this until December. We will get up here every Sunday and preach Acts chapter 16 until we begin to live in Acts chapter 16. Why? Because God is so much in, in, in love with his glory and enforcing what he believes to be true that he doesn't really care whether or not we don't want to do it. He's going to keep repeating the message until it finally clicks for some of us. So my question is, honestly, how many more of these Sundays do we need? Because I can do this all year. Acts chapter 16 is phenomenal. So do me a favor. If this is your third time hearing it, I want to put a special emphasis on you. Perhaps there is something that God wants to relay over to you today that you've yet to receive. And I'm here to tell you, third time's the charm, the ball's in your court, what you do if this is up to you. Amen? Amen. So let's dive into this. I want to pray one last time before we go. Father God, I just pray that you use these words, Lord, uh, that I believe that you've laid uh, down, Lord, for for the specific reason to teach us and to encourage us and to grow us and to build us, Lord. And I just pray that you allow me uh, to deliver the words that you have, not in my words, but in your words. God, I pray that you will remove the parts that don't need to be there, that you will add the parts that do, God. And I believe that at the end of this, we will encounter you in a fresh new way, Lord. God, I pray that this message will be an edible message. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you are thinking, Mariano, I think you meant edifying. Uh, No, I meant edible, and that is an inside joke from those who went to rewind. So if you didn't go, you missed it. That's all I'm saying. We have a lot of inside jokes at rewind. Okay, Acts chapter 16. We're going to start. We're going to jump right into verses 25. So just just Acts chapter 16, verse 25. I'm gonna help you out. If you have this Bible, it's page 1,134. If you have any other Bible, don't know what to tell you. Um, Let's bring us up to speed. Saul and Silas are walking around and they are proclaiming the goodness of God. They are sharing the gospel. They are telling people about Jesus. Upon their travels, they stumble into a girl who is demon-possessed and she begins to follow them and she begins to nag them and she begins to irritate them to a point where the Bible says that Paul was annoyed so he cast the demon out of her. That is a very awesome way to cast the demon out. Just out of annoyance. Just like, you know what? Just out and the demon disappeared. Naturally, the owners of this girl are very upset because she would tell fortunes and they made a profit off of her. And so now they're running around saying, well, these guys are ruining, they're scheming, they're trying to ruin what's happening here. Now, Paul and Silas end up in jail. And when I'm reading this, my first natural response is, it is awfully inconvenient that by doing what God had asked them to do, they end up in prison. Why is it sometimes that when we do what God asks us to do, it doesn't net us into a good place, it often nets us into a worse place? These guys were walking. These guys were enjoying their life. They had freedom. They did a good thing. A demon was cast out. Someone was freed. And their reward for this was getting beaten and tossed into prison. That's how faith works. Sometimes following Jesus leads you to some bad places. Sometimes following Jesus gets you into some desperate situations. Sometimes following Jesus ends you in a place where you end up more depressed than you end hopeful. Well, what we believe about God is that God is a big picture God. 
that God sees the full story while we see chapters. And so little did Paul and Silas know that something was going to happen here. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says this, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And in trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house. He set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So these guys do what God asked them to do. They're bringing the gospel. They're freeing people. It's a beautiful thing. And it nets them a night in prison. Now, naturally, I don't know about you, but I tend to consider myself a medium faith person. So naturally, when I do something and it nets me in a bad situation, my natural response is not to praise and worship. That's not where I go default. I default into moping and groaning and desperation and slight depression. That's just my natural response. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not trying to impress you. That's just who I am. I go from like, and I've, I've heard this before, I go from like prophetic to pathetic in 30 seconds. Very fast. God will liberate us. Something goes wrong. We're bound. We're not getting out. Yet Paul and Silas's natural response is to praise and worship. Not only do they praise and worship, but they praise and worship at midnight, which I don't know if you know this, but most common people are asleep at this time. This is not a normal time to praise and worship. Can we be real? That praise and worship could have waited till the morning. There was no need to do it at midnight. But these two guys knew that there was something about the circumstance that they were in that drove them to worship God, not tomorrow, but immediately. Can you imagine the inconvenience of being the people who are in the jail cell next to these two dummies who won't stop singing at midnight? Have you ever heard someone who cannot sing a worship song, sing a worship song. The Bible says that these guys were gifted at communicating, not singing. So I can't imagine what it's like to have someone sing Cornerstone off tune for four hours at midnight. Christ alone, Cornerstone. Shut up. Like, what? It's midnight. Are you kidding me? What are you? Why? But you know what's interesting? I'm pretty sure the same people who were judging them when they were singing were awfully quiet when their chains began to fall off. The same people who were saying, who are these two idiots who are singing off tune? We're saying like, oh, y'all want to keep singing or what's the chorus? Give it to me. I'm ready. The Bible says that all of them were freed. Why? Because sometimes when God moves in your life, it doesn't just bring you freedom. It brings freedom to the people around you. Thank you, Luciano, for that point. Not only does it bring freedom to the people around you, it often brings freedom to the very people who are against you. Because suddenly the prison guard who was in charge of keeping them captive was like, I want what you have. And what happens? He was saved. And his whole family was saved. And as I'm reading this, Sometimes I think that when something goes wrong in our life, we default to why would the enemy do this? Why would the enemy let this happen? 
And a lot of times it's not the enemy who lets it happen, it's God who lets it happen. Why? Because God's in the long game. You see, we read this story and we, we usually cut it into three sections, correct? There's a part where the girl gets liberated of her demon. There's a part where they're in prison. And there's a part where the guard and this family come to accept Jesus. But what would you do if I told you that it's not three separate chapters, but one whole story? What if I told you that God was so determined to bring salvation to that guard's household that he would imprison Paul and Silas to do so, and to imprison them, he would allow them to liberate a girl who was demon-possessed? Almost as if God orchestrates the pieces of our lives to get us to where he wants us to go. And when we think that we've been tossed into a prison, God has actually prepared us for the next step in our process. Oh, I can't imagine what it must have been like to see a girl be liberated and end up in prison immediately and think, why is this happening? Only a day later to realize that the prison was only a setup for what was going to happen with the prison guards the next day. Do you understand And you need to hear this, that I believe that sometimes God places you in the prison, not because you need it, but because there's someone that you're going to interact with in the prison that's going to need your story. So a lot of times you go, why am I here? Why am I in this place of despair? Why am I in this place of depression? And God goes, would you wait until the prison guard shows up? Why? Because God is in the business of acquiring souls. And his acquisition of souls supersedes our comfort levels which means if he has to throw you into a prison so that a family will be saved, I'm here to tell you that those souls are more valuable than your comfort. And so naturally, that begins to put things in perspective because for those of us who are going, well, I don't like my situation, I'm here to tell you life's not about you. Life's not about what you like. Life's not about what you get. I get it. Some of you guys are like, I've been in this job for 12 years. I see no future. I see no options. I see no hope. Do you know what my response would be? There is someone there who needs you, and that is why God hasn't moved you. When that person gets what they need, when they hear the gospel, when they are liberated, then you can move on. But until then, God's going to keep you there. Why? Because God is out for souls. God is out for salvations. And if that means that we are inconvenienced because of it, It is an honor that God would use our pain and our story to bring glory to someone else. Understand what we're dealing with here. This is a God who is so above what happens uh, in, in our lives that he doesn't have an off button. Like God is always working behind the scenes. And so even if we can't see it happen, we can rest assured that he is working. And if we don't see him move today, we might see him move tomorrow. And if we don't see him move tomorrow, it might be the next day. But there is an assurance that God is going to do something to bring himself glory through our life and circumstance. This is who God is. Now, for a lot of us, it'd be super cool if God brought glory through the winning lottery ticket numbers. I'd glorify God so quick. I'd be like, Lord, I give 50% of my earnings to the church. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm going to build a bunch of schools. I'm going to build a bunch of churches with these finances. I'm going to honor you, God. But you know what ends up happening? A lot of times, the way that God ends up, ends up seeking his glory is by removing all the things that you love and want so that he places you in a place where your dependency is solely on him. And when people see that dependency on him, they go, how come they have a dependency in the worst situation? And when they see you experience freedom, they will also experience freedom. And I don't know if you know this, but there's more glory in that than there is in winning the lottery. God is more glorified by a bunch of guys thrown into a prison and liberating them than he is glorified by someone who gives thousands of dollars of donations to churches. 
So for a lot of us, that should bring some sort of peace because you're like, we know what, life hasn't been working out for me. I've been following God diligently for 20 years and I feel like I've been in prison for 20 years. Can I give you some assurance? If you know that you are following God diligently and you are still in a position that you don't wanna be, do not begin to doubt, continue to trust because there's a difference. Don't, don't hit me with the, I'm in a bad place and when I ask you what you did, you made 40 dumb decisions to get there and now you're walking around like God is using me, I'm obviously in a prison. You put yourself in that prison, man. I don't know what to tell you. I'm bankrupt. God must be ready to bless me because I'm in my prison. Bro, you spent dumb amounts of money on things you didn't need. That wasn't being obedient to God. That's not how it works. We don't disguise God blessing us through the mistakes that we make. But you know what ends up happening? In obedience, when we follow him, sometimes bad things happen. And when we follow God long enough to know that we're truly walking in obedience, there's an assurance and a trust that even if everything gets taken away, I am believing that God is good and that he is going to deliver me. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas were liberated from that prison. Acts chapter 16. But I want to talk about another prison in the Bible. Because I don't know if you, if you realize, but there's a running theme where people get imprisoned all over the Bible. It is sort of a common thread. And so if you want to help me out by turning to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to talk about a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a very popular figure. John the Baptist is a very cool guy. He, he, he is as epic as they come. And even his intro is amazing. The Bible says that, that this is how we, we learn about John the Baptist's ministry. Matthew chapter three. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For by this, he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. That is as manly as it gets. What do you eat? Honey and locusts. You mean the very thing that God sent to plague Egypt? Yup. That plague is my snack. Like this guy's tough. We're not joking around here. He continues by saying things like this. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region of the, about the Jordan were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. And listen to this one. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Which for a lot of us seems like this guy's cutting wood. What he's saying is if you don't produce fruit, you're gonna get tossed into the fire. He's preaching fire and brimstone. This guy goes, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Oh my gosh. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This guy is legitimately telling everyone that he is preparing the way for the one who is to come, the one who is mightier than him, the one who is greater than him, the one whose flip-flops he is not worthy to carry. John is making it clear that the one who is to come is so much greater than him that we're going to be blown away when we've seen him. And when I read this, the first thing that comes to mind is this guy is a little oversaved. Have you ever met an oversaved person? 
lost their job, just got broken up with, not doing too great. Hey, Sally, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. All right, cool. Hey, Bob, I heard, uh, I'm really sorry, I heard about the loss. Up in heaven with Jesus, come on, hallelujah. It's like, do you not feel pain? Like, are you not human? Like, you are way better than me. John the Baptist is, is, is peak over saved. Uh, we had a girl at our last church that we grew up with and, and we had a youth retreat and, and oh my gosh, like, let me tell you about over saved. We had an icebreaker and the icebreaker was like, hey, hey, do, do us a favor. Would you just tell us about your, your favorite like superpower? Like if you could have a superpower, what would it be? And I'm like, invisibility, because then I could steal things. Wasn't saved back then, but... Being honest, someone was like, I wish I could be super stretchy because then I wouldn't have to work out. I was like, that's a phenomenal idea. Someone's like, I wish I could fly, super cool. This girl, who is the pastor's daughter, goes, I wouldn't want a superpower because I think God made me perfectly just the way I am. Oh my God, Kayla, it's an icebreaker. Can you give us something? She goes, fine. If I could have a superpower, it would be able to recite every Bible passage in the Bible. Are you Bible man? Like what is going on? Like when I read this, the reason why I say that John sounds oversaved is because what I've learned in my life is that those who tend to speak the loudest often fall the quickest. Have you met an oversaved person who, who makes it seem like everything is good and when they eventually give in, they fall hard. John goes, I can't even hold this guy's flip-flops. And in one sense, I completely understand that there's a reverence for that. But I'm like, John, we know how your story ends, man. We know what happens to you, man. Man, the Bible says that immediately after this, Jesus comes down and, and Jesus shows up and he starts screaming like, this is the one that I was talking about. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes off into the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 14, we very quickly are made known that John the Baptist has been thrown into prison. Very quick, you can miss it. It just says, and Jesus was walking, John's in prison. Like that's all it says, no context. We come to find out that it's because there was a king at the time named Herod. Herod divorced his wife. Herod tries to get with his brother's wife. Naturally, John the Baptist goes, that's wrong, bro. Herod throws John the Baptist in jail. And what happens from that moment forward is that Jesus begins to perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. From the moment when John the Baptist gets thrown in jail to the moment when we finally get to hear what he says in jail, this is what Jesus does. Jesus gives a sermon on the mount. He cleanses the leper. He heals many. He calms the storm. He heals two demons possessed men. He heals a paralytic. He restores life. He heals another woman's sickness. He heals two more blind men. He heals a man unable to speak. My God, Jesus is on a roll. He is healing people left and right. He is performing miracles. He is liberating people. All the while, John the Baptist is still in jail for doing what he thought God had asked him to do. Can you see the irony in that situation? Jesus is having the time of his life. John the Baptist is rotting away in a prison cell because he was obedient. Because that's where obedience will get you sometimes. In a position where you feel abandoned, but outside of your prison, everyone else is receiving something. It'll get you to that place. And so when we meet John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, suddenly John the Baptist doesn't seem so oversaved anymore. Suddenly, John the Baptist seems to feel a little bit more human. 
Because Matthew chapter 11 says this, now when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one that is to come or should we look for someone else? You see, John the Baptist doesn't get to see these miracles because he's too busy being thrown in jail. So he knows that there's a lot of people who are proclaimed that they are the Messiah, but aren't. So he sends a word to Jesus to figure out whether or not this guy is the right one or if he made a mistake. But do you understand what it's like for the guy who paved the way, who said he wasn't able to hold your flip-flops, he wasn't worthy, the guy who cried out and said his only purpose was to pave the way to go, hey, uh, are you the right one? Or did I make a mistake? Because I'm here in prison and I mean, this isn't how I really thought it was gonna end. Why? Because sometimes when we follow Jesus, it often feels like he forgot about us, doesn't it? When you're in that place, where outside the walls of your prison, everyone's being blessed and healed. You're in there and you look up to God and said, hey, are you the right one or have I made a mistake? And you know what's interesting? Jesus replies back and uses John's disciples to send word to him. And this is what he says. Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the death hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Holy smokes, Jesus is throwing punches. He goes, what did you go see? Someone who the moment the wind starts to blow just bends? Huh. He continues, what did you all to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violence taken by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest known of all time. And yet he doubts Jesus. Why? Because even those that we consider to be spiritual giants have moments of doubt. You know those elders you look up to whose life seems perfect? They doubt too, believe it or not. The pastor who preaches a Sunday morning, he doubts as well. All these people we watch on Instagram who are doing phenomenal, all of them doubt. Jesus is saying, John the Baptist is the greatest, whoever was, and yet he doubted too. Suddenly, it feels a little bit better now, right? Because you understand, I'm, I'm no John the Baptist for sure. I don't like itchy clothing. I'm not about that honey and locust life. It's just not me. I like red meat. I like potatoes. It, that just, that's how I roll. But you know what I understand now? that if someone like John the Baptist has moments of doubt and desperation, suddenly I don't have to beat myself up when I have those moments too. Why? Because John the Baptist was the greatest and he still doubted. But this is where the Bible starts to get tricky because when we read about Saul and Silas, the good news is that when they praised and prayed, the prison walls came down and they were liberated. For John the Baptist, it's a little different. What John the Baptist does is he sends John's disciples back and he goes, hey, would you physically tell them what you've seen? These guys are going like, we saw blind people get healed, man. 
We saw lame people walk. We saw lepers get cleansed. What they're doing is they're telling him what Jesus is doing. What they don't understand that they're doing is they are making it clear that all the prophecies you read about in Isaiah are coming to fruition. That the lame would walk. That the death would heal. Heal, heal. That, that the, the lepers would be made clean. When you read through it, Jesus lists off all these things. These are some of the prophecies that you hear in Isaiah, that the Messiah would heal the blind, that he would clean lepers, that he would heal the deaf, that the dead are raised to life, that the poor have good news preached to them. But in Isaiah, there's a moment that says, and the prisoners will be set free. But Jesus doesn't say that part to John because Jesus knew that God would be glorified by John ending up in a prison and being beheaded for what he did. Why? Because God is moving and God is healing and God is liberating. But I can't tell you here today with an easy heart that every single circumstance is going to end well. I can't lie to you about that. For some of you, it'd be different. Some of you that are seeking healing, he begin to lift off. The prisoners are free. The poor are being made new. They're hearing the good news and he would leave off the part about the healing. Why? Because Jesus isn't a genie that we get to ask for prayers and he has to fix everything. You see, when I read about these two passages, one where two guys get liberated from a prison and another one where the guy ends up dying in prison, I, I start to, to think, what did, they, what did he do wrong? How come these two guys made it out safe and this guy ends up dying in prison, you know what the hard truth about the Bible is? That the more you dig into it, I, 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 I have to be honest with you, I have no idea how to sway my circumstance to end like Paul and Silas's. None. I can't give you three steps to get out of your prison because if I'm being real, when I read through the Bible, for some people, they never got out. A lot of these disciples, I mean, you read how their lives ended. They didn't retire to a beach with a lot of finances and a few book deals. You wanna read through Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith? It talks about all these people who by faith did many things. And most pastors will end at that moment, but there's a few verses after that says, and many went on to do great things for the kingdom. They slayed lions, they killed giants, they slayed thousands of in armies. But you know what the next verse says? Some were eaten by lions and some were cut in half and some were defeated. Why? Because we, we, it's hard when you surround yourself with teachings and pastors and understandings that a lot of these guys say where they give you a set solution on how to get out of your prison and then you do said thing and you never find your way out and you start doubting whether or not you're enough. And you realize that a lot of these guys are preaching the parts that sound good but not preaching the full truth. Man, I had an interesting upbringing with a bunch of issues with immigration and stuff like that. My parents brought me here when I was one. I highly doubt they thought that our life was gonna be as lucrative as it was. And for many years, I heard stories and testimonies and passages where pastors said, hey, if you pray this way, and if you praise this way, and if you serve this way, then God will free you from the very thing that is keeping you bound. And I said, awesome, let me try it. And for years, I prayed and praised and nothing happened. And I got to a point where I thought that I was doing something wrong because God wasn't taking this from me. And it took years and it took friendships and it took moments for me to realize that God wasn't trying to pull me from it. He was trying to use me in it. And for many of us, we have been praying for freedom and I'm here to tell you, God's not gonna pull you from it. He's gonna use you through it. 
This is the gospel that we live. This is the real gospel where King Solomon goes, life is unfair. Some good people have horrible lives. Some bad people have great lives, but God is good and we serve him regardless. I can't give you a 10 step sermon on how to escape your prison. I can't. I cannot in good conscience send you out telling you that I figured out freedom. But I can tell you that regardless of whether your circumstances are Paul and Silas or John the Baptist, God is good. God will be glorified. And the Bible says our reward is not here, but it's up there. I'm convinced that if Paul and Silas hadn't made it out, they still would have been fine. Matt Chandler preached this really good word and he made this joke. He goes, man, Paul's mindset was undefeatable. You could not beat this guy. They would say, Paul, we're gonna beat you. He would say, to live is Christ, man. All right, fine, we'll kill you. To die is gain. Then we'll throw you in prison. Then I'll convert the guards. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Like, every circumstance I'm in, God's gonna get some glory through my life. If I'm alive, there's potential for the glory of God to move. If I die, he'll be glorified by my death. And if I'm in prison for the rest of my life, glory will come from that circumstance. Why? Because God is good and we trust him regardless. No, but some of us, we're like, I just, but I want, I would love to be out of this prison. And I'll be real with you. There's a lot of things that I would love to be out of too. But, but I'm starting to recognize and I'm starting to realize that, that if my purpose here on life is to go through hardships so that many other people will experience freedom, then I'm just gonna ask God to keep me consistent and to help me get through it for the sake of the lives that are at stake. Oftentimes we don't understand what God wants to do with our lives. And oftentimes the way God uses us isn't the way we think it's gonna be used. There's a song that we sing sometimes called How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. And it's very interesting because when you read it uh, and you sing it, most people's argument is sloppy wet kiss, unforeseen kiss. Both very weird phrasings. You know what I mean? Thank God that in 2019, that's what the church is arguing about. Praise God. Um, but when you, when you read the history of the song, it's actually heartbreaking because the song is written um, by and for a friend who more or less Correct me if I'm wrong, Lucy, the story goes that he felt like this song, he was, his life was gonna be used to reach thousands of millions of people and the guy ended up dying and ultimately that song, which is his legacy, ended up reaching thousands and millions of people. And many of us are going to reach thousands and millions of people, just not the way we think we are. And so what happens, right, today if we're in a prison? What happens if you're here today and you go, well, I'm bound and I don't know what to do and I feel like I just can't get out of this? Well, I can't give you a, a, a perfect answer, but I can give you two ideas that I think that will at least help you walk towards uh, freedom. First point is this, uh, make prayer and praise your default. Make that your default response. Some people say, I don't like the way when you say default. I go, no, no, no. I want this to be so ingrained in my life that the natural response when things go wrong is to pray and praise. That's how I wanna live. I lose my job, I'm praying and I'm praising. Everything gets taken away from me, I am praying and I am praising. All my friends abandoned me, I am praying and I am praising. Why? Because Peter and Silas made it, I mean, Paul and Silas made it clear. When they prayed and they praised, prisons broke, chains broke, people's lives were changed. So I want to live a life 
where my natural response when things go wrong is not to doubt, but my natural response is to praise God and thank him for what he's going to do. Thank him for what he has done. Remember his goodness and ask him to help me remember and be faithful even when things are bad. I want to live a life that when I, my life falls apart and I'm praying and I'm praising, people don't go, well, that guy's oversaved. They go, no, 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 that guy, he's genuine. Everything was taken from him and he is so thankful that God is still with them. Why? Because the gospel is not that, genie is a, that Jesus is a genie who gives us what we want. The gospel is that if we have Jesus, we have all that we need. Whether it be in a home or in a prison cell, so long as we have him, we are good and secure. We praise and we pray. And Lucy said this, and I thought this was good, like prayer and praise doesn't necessarily break the prison doors down in your life, but what it does do is it does posture you to remember who God is and who you're dealing with. So for a lot of us, we're gonna pray and praise and we're not gonna feel the chains fall off immediately, but we're suddenly gonna have a fresh revelation of who God is and who's on our side. For many of us, the finances that we've been asking for aren't just gonna magically show up inside of our bank account, but we're now gonna have more faith to trust God in the provision. For a lot of us, we don't really even know what tomorrow looks like, but we're gonna trust that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Why? Because God's there already. And you know what we need to understand here? That the Bible makes it clear in Matthew chapter six when it talks about worrying and anxiety. He says, you do not gain a single moment of your life by worrying, not a single second. You wanna to turn to despair and desperation? That's awesome. It's not gonna help a single thing. Man, I ha I've had situations where it's like, I don't know how I'm gonna accomplish this goal and I worry. You know what I realized? The worrying did absolutely nothing for me. I didn't get more money. I didn't find a solution. No door was open. I just looked horrendous crying on the couch like a baby. No, 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 that is a victim mindset. And we just saying that we're not victims. So we don't turn to despair and desperation. No, we just saying that the kingdom is ours. So what do we do? We praise and we pray that God will continue to lead us to where he wants us to go. And that even when we don't have anything around us to support us, if we have him, he is more than enough to get us there. And second, and I like this one, surround yourself with godly people and ask them what Jesus is doing. I love that I get to live with a group of people in my life that when I feel like God isn't moving, I can just send a quick text and be like, hey, what's God doing in your life? And I get flooded with results. But you know what I need you to understand is that if you're not spiritually mature enough, that will break you, not build you. You see, a spiritually immature person, when they hear how God is moving in someone else's life, they begin to compare. They begin to go, how come God's giving you what you asked for? How come he answered your prayers and not mine? How come, how come you have favor that I don't? But you know what a spiritually mature person does? When they hear that God moved in someone else's life, they go, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh man, thank God. I mean, I'm still struggling, but man, I'm so, so good to know that God is still moving. Oh, I'm still bound, but he healed you. Oh, praise God that he healed you. Oh, I'm still bound, but you got what you needed. Praise God that he delivered. Oh, I have no way out, but he delivered you from what you needed. Praise God that you found freedom. Why? Because when we remember who God is and we surround ourselves with people who remind us of who God is, those very moments when we hear God move in other people's lives do not lead us to despair, but they push us to hope push us to hope and believe that God is a God who is always moving. And just because I don't see him move in my life now does not mean that he has stopped. 
It means that he is moving behind the scenes and it might not be my moment, but thank God that it's your moment. Because one day it won't be your moment, but it'll be my moment. And what we do as a community is we encourage and build one another. When I feel like I'm in prison and dying, you know what I need to hear? How God has been blessing your life. Because when I hear that he's moving in your life and in the body of the congregation, that I am blessed in the overflow of that. We're the body. If you break your leg, but you've been working out and your right bicep gets big, like, that's awesome. My left leg is not affected or offended by the fact that my bicep is looking killer. No, no, no. The, the body is not affected or offended when other parts are doing great. They are motivated and encouraged by it. That is how we live as a church. So when people go, I have no hope, I want to tell you about the hope I found. And in the moments when I have no hope, you best believe I expect you to tell me about what God's doing in your life. I want to hear all the details. I want you to remind me about all the times that you felt forgotten and God did not forget you. Would you just shower me with stories and testimonies? Why? Because the testimonies remind us of who God is. And when we remember who God is, there is more hope in the process. Man, we have to remember the goodness of God. We sing that song that says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. That is our hope. He's done it once, so he can do it again. And you know what? Can I be real? For some of us, it might take 50 years to see God move. But he's going to move. And when he does, oh, it'll all be worth it. Man, it'll all be worth it. Hey, worship team, would you join me up in the front as we begin to, to land this plane? I want to encourage you guys around one closing thought here. I don't want to pull it up on the screen because it would take a very long time to get to it, but I do want to speak about one thing. Would you guys do me a favor as your homework and for some of you as an opportunity to finally open up your Bible that's been collecting dust for a few weeks? Come on, let's be real. hey, can you guys open your, your Bible app? I want to see your streaks. How many days in a row has it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I messed mine up the other day. It was 275, and so it is what it is. Only 200, okay? Thank you, Diana. It's my wife, guys. Do me a favor. Would you read the story of Joseph when you get home? Would you read the whole story of Joseph, beginning to end? Because the story of Joseph is an emotional roller coaster of highs and lows. Joseph is living a great life. He is loved by his family. He has these amazing dreams. He tells his family these dreams. You would think that the family would support. They don't. His brothers throw him into a pit. They scheme to kill him. They have an idea. Why don't we just sell him? At least we'll make some money. They sell him. He moves on to Egypt. He becomes a servant. He begins to rise rank. He's finally doing something amazing. He's serving in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife has a crush on him and tries to seduce him. He says no. Ultimately, he gets accused of something he did not do, ends up in jail for many years. He becomes friends with the prison guards. A few prisoners come in. He becomes friends with them. They tell him their dreams. Their dreams are good. He explains that in one case, one guy's gonna go on to continue to live. The other one's gonna die. It's just how it is. 
The Bible tells us that in that prison, he tells them when you leave, would you remember me? They don't, they forget him. He's left in prison for a few years until one day Pharaoh has a dream. And in that dream, he's trying to figure out what it means and no one in Egypt can decipher it. And at that moment, the same prisoner who's in the prison with Joseph goes, oh my gosh, I know a guy who knows a lot about dreams. They pull Joseph out of the prison. Joseph speaks with the Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. He says, a lot of seven good years, seven bad years. Find someone who can organize the seven good years, saving the overflow for the seven bad years. The Pharaoh is so impressed. He goes, you know what? Why don't you become the guy who does that for me? Joseph goes from a guy who was thrown into a pit to the second most powerful man in command in all of Egypt. But the story doesn't end there. The Bible says that the plagues come and the famine comes and there is hunger across the land until Joseph's family, the very family that betrayed him and threw him into a pit, they start to go hungry. But they hear about a guy in Egypt who has a lot of food. So they get sent over to Egypt. They come face to face with Joseph. They don't know that it's him because he's wearing makeup and Egyptian things. But Joseph and them have an interaction. They have an encounter. They have a back and forth. And ultimately what Joseph does is he reveals himself to be their brother and their jaws drop. Why? Because they were convinced that what they had done had thrown him into prison and ruined his life, not knowing that he was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And Joseph says a beautiful thing at the end of his story. He's, don't you understand that it was not you who did this, but it was God who brought me here. Don't you understand that all the highs and the lows, all the valleys and all the pits, all the time spent in prison was not because you threw me into a pit. It was because God was orchestrating every season in my life, all the highs, all the lows, all the wins and all the losses. He was orchestrating my life to get to a point where I would be able to be used to bring saving to this land. It wasn't you who put me through all of that. It was God. Can I tell you that we can rest assured knowing that God is aware of the prisons, that God is aware of the highs, that God is aware of the lows, and you might feel abandoned, but I'm here to tell you, it is not your situation that got you there. It is not the lack of support that got you there. It is not the lack of your finances. It is not the fact that you're an orphan. God has orchestrated all things for a purpose, and it doesn't make sense today, but I am here to tell you that God is good, and he will work it out, and there will come a day where you will look back on your life and you will say, I am so grateful for all the prisons I went through because had I not been there, I never would have arrived to where God needed me. Can we begin to trust God in these seasons? Can we believe that he is the perfect orchestrator? Can we believe that we are not forgotten? Can we believe that he is still with us? Can we believe that he has orchestrated all things for his good and out of the overflow of his goodness, we are blessed in the process. Can we trust God that way this morning? Now, a lot of you guys are like, I believe, I trust. The Bible says it's about faith and works. You can have the knowledge, but if you don't apply, it's worthless. I'm here to tell you. Like this is a really phenomenal thing. You can memorize all of it and have no idea what to do with it. And if I'm being real, real, real with you, if you have it all memorized and you don't do anything with it, you're more or less useless. So let's be real. So maybe you're here today and you've gone through something, you're going through a season in your life and you're like, you know what? I've despaired and I've gotten desperate and I've cried and nothing has happened. 
Well, this is what I wanna present to you today. And I'm presenting this before you because it's on my conscience. And if I don't do this, I have to sleep with this and live with this. So I'm putting this in your court. When we worship, after this message, we're not gonna have anyone here to pray with you. Would you do me a favor? Would you step out and would you worship God and praise him through whatever you're going through? Would you take a step of faith and say, God, I don't understand what I'm in, but because I saw two guys do it and it worked for them, I'm gonna give it a shot and see what happens. And would you do me a bigger favor? Maybe your life is great. That's awesome. The cool thing about Paul and Silas is that there's an overflow blessing of freedom. I look back at my life and the reason why I'm holding this microphone is not because I'm awesome. It's because when I was five years old, there were little old ladies at my church who would pray over my life. And they would begin to pray and declare that God would do things in my life. And I didn't understand it. And I always made fun of them because I was like, this is so dumb. Y'all are really old. But you know what's crazy? God honors the prayers and the praise of his people. And when those prayers and praise are for someone else, there's freedom that can happen in those moments too. So maybe it is someone in your family who needs that freedom. Would you praise God and pray for their freedom today? Not for your circumstance, maybe for theirs. Would you begin to pursue God, not for your sake, but for the sake of people around you? Would you take a moment today and would you thank God, not for what he's going to do in your life, would you thank God for what he's going to do in the life of your family and your friends and your coworkers? Church, would you rise with me as we worship? I'm gonna pray and you guys can just begin and I'll come up in a few. God, I just pray, Lord, that in days like today, in moments like this, God, man, that we would understand that we are a body where, where, where we are allowed to be vulnerable here today, Lord. Man, these altars are open for praise and for prayer, Lord. These altars are open for us to come before you and just thank you for what you've done. These altars are open for us to cry out and ask for your help, Lord. God, there's no judgment here, Lord. No judgment here, Lord. Man, and for those who are so, so hard-hearted about their image, Lord. Man, as someone who grew up thinking I couldn't raise my hands because it made me look weak, I couldn't throw myself on the floor because it would make me look weak, Lord. I'm here to say today, Lord, I do need you to that level, Lord. I need to be flat on my face before you, Lord. I need to be on my knees because there's moments where I can't do it, God, and I need you to step in, Lord. So it's not about the image, Lord. I pray that even now, Lord, as we begin to worship, as we declare that we are surrounded by you, as we declare that this is how we find our freedom, God, I am praying and believing that you will begin to release peace and freedom over the life of the people here, God. And I just pray, Lord, that at this moment, all, Lord, all the image problems, Lord, all these barriers that keep us from coming forward to worship you, Lord, will they just disappear, Lord? Would we be able to freely pursue you in this moment, God? In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, everyone said.